Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. I wonder if it's occurred to you recently to ask the question, what exactly is the Christian Gospel? It seems that in our time the Gospel is being defined almost exclusively as the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've heard it said in popular circles many times that Jesus came to do three days' work, to die, to be buried, and to be raised from the dead. Now, is that true? Why then did Jesus say in Luke chapter 4, verse 43, that he came to preach the gospel about the kingdom of God? And you'll note that he carried on that preaching, that gospel activity, for some three and a half years before he died, before he was buried and before he died. So what then was the purpose of Jesus' preaching, if not to preach the gospel? Is it true then that Jesus came to do three days' work? Or is it true that he came to do three and a half years plus three days' work? There's a very great difference in that understanding of the gospel. I want to submit to you that we desperately need to redefine the gospel in terms of the Bible, in terms of the text of Scripture, instead of our own traditions. It seems to us patently false that Jesus came to do three days' work, to die, to be buried, and to be raised again. It contradicts flat what he said himself. He came to preach the gospel about the kingdom of God. That's the reason for which God commissioned him. Those are Jesus' own words, his own explanation of his own ministry in Luke 4, verse 43. Now, that verse in Luke 4, verse 43, reflects, of course, the earlier passages in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which introduce the gospel preaching of Jesus Christ and define it with absolute clarity and therefore lay the basis of the Christian religion itself. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, we have a summary statement of Jesus' whole evangelistic activity. It's meant to be a summary which encapsulates the entirety of the mission of Jesus and therefore the entirety of the meaning of the Christian faith. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, we read these words. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming or heralding God's gospel. And the content of that gospel is given in the 15th verse. In that verse, Jesus is reported as saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, what gospel? Well, clearly, the gospel about the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God being at hand the kingdom of God approaching, the kingdom of God being on the horizon, which is the content of Jesus' gospel message. It's that information that we're asked to believe. I note most carefully that Jesus said not a word at this stage about his death and resurrection. Now, those elements in the gospel, of course, are most important. They are added to the fundamental substratum of information which Jesus gives us in his information about the kingdom. But the kingdom is not the death of Jesus. 
The kingdom is not the resurrection of Jesus. The kingdom of God is the kingdom which was at hand, for which we are to pray continuously, Thy kingdom come. Unless one understands that the kingdom of God in the New Testament is predominantly and primarily the great event associated with the second coming, one is reading the book with great difficulty and a fair amount of confusion. The kingdom of God has not come. We would not be praying, Thy kingdom come, if in fact the kingdom had come. According to Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 to 18, it's only when that future great seventh trumpet sounds that the kingdoms of this present evil system, this present world, become the kingdom of God, and Messiah begins to rule in that kingdom. Now, it's true, of course, that the Spirit of God, which Christians are to receive as a down payment, the Spirit of God is the spirit of that kingdom. The message of the kingdom must be present in the hearts of believers now. The ethics of the kingdom, that's to say the behavior patterns required by Jesus, must exist in the lifestyles of believers now. They must be actively spreading the gospel of the kingdom of God, because Jesus urges his followers to be fishers of men. But the kingdom itself is something lying in the future. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom, Jesus said in Matthew 8, verse 11, and he was referring there to a time in the future associated with his second coming. Again, in a most important verse in Luke, chapter 21, verse 31, Jesus said that when the disciples or their descendants saw all of the cataclysmic events associated with the end of the age happening, only when they saw these great events, then only could they say and know that the kingdom of God was about to come. Luke 21, verse 31. Again, in chapter 7 of Matthew, we find Jesus speaking of the future coming of the kingdom. In Matthew 7, verse 21, Jesus announced these extraordinary words, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he alone who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not in your name cast out demons? And in your name do many wonderful works? And then I will profess to them, I never recognized you. Depart from me, you who are working lawlessness. Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. I hope you'll note there that Jesus is speaking of a time in the future when people will enter or be refused entrance into the kingdom of God. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will be granted entrance into the kingdom at that time. Many will say, on that day. Do you see there the equation of the expression, on that day, with entering the kingdom of God? In other words, it's on that future day that one will either enter the kingdom or be refused entrance into it. The kingdom of God there is associated with that future day of the arrival of Jesus in power and glory. There are many such passages throughout the New Testament clearly telling us that the kingdom of God is the event of the future associated with the arrival of Jesus in power and glory to reign on the earth in his future kingdom.
And that future reign, of course, will be in conjunction with the saints of all the ages. Indeed, the purpose of Christianity in the Bible is not to go to heaven, to disappear to some super-celestial realm removed from the earth, but the purpose of Christianity as given by Jesus and the apostles is to rule as kings and priests on a restored earth, the other side of the second coming of Jesus. That's the point of Christianity. It's an invitation to prepare now to develop character through the power of the Holy Spirit of God and to be ready then when Christ returns to rule as kings with him. You will find that considerably neglected fact mentioned with complete clarity in Revelation 2 verse 26 and Revelation 3 verse 21. In those verses, Jesus speaks of giving authority to the Christians, power and authority to rule over the nations with him and to sit with him in his throne in the future kingdom. Indeed, the remarkably interesting passage about the millennium in Revelation 20, a remarkably simple passage because it describes an event by which those who have been beheaded come to life in the first resurrection and begin to reign as kings with Christ for a thousand years. Of course, not only martyrs will be in that kingdom, as the rest of the New Testament asserts, all of the Christians of all the ages, including, of course, the father of the faithful himself, Abraham, and his distinguished children, Isaac and Jacob, and all the prophets, will reappear on the earth via resurrection, arising from the sleep of the dead, according to Daniel 12, verse 2. They will reemerge, immortalized, and fit to take part in that great new government coming on the earth, the kingdom of God, to be initiated by the second coming of Christ in the future. If you would like to study further this messianic underlying theme, the theme which really undergirds the whole Bible, the theme about the Messiah and the coming kingdom, we would invite you to request from us a free book on the kingdom of God. It's entitled, The Coming Kingdom of the Messiah, A Solution to the Riddle of the New Testament. I authored that book some years ago, and we'd be happy to send you a free copy if you'll contact us at the telephone number to be given at the end of this program. What we've been stressing as a successful method of Bible study in this series of programs is the most important fact that the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, is critically important for our understanding of the New. It's a colossal mistake to imagine that one can successfully read the words of Jesus with understanding if one is not already rooted and grounded in that 77% of our Bibles, which we really mistakenly call the Old Testament, we should call it the Hebrew Bible. Jesus, you see, was reared on those Hebrew Scriptures. That three-quarters of the biblical revelation that is often so terribly neglected, Jesus was a Jew, of course, talking to Jews, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, which is itself a very Jewish idea based on the book of Daniel and generally on the prophets of Israel. The kingdom is the underlying concept in the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew Bible also. From the very beginning, God intended to restore peace to the earth after the kingdom to be found in Eden at the beginning was disrupted by the intervention of the devil and by the failure of the first pair to submit to the will of God rather than the clever deceptions of the devil. 
There's an underlying story thread which runs throughout the totality of Scripture. We might well call the Bible the story of the kingdom of God, its disruption and its ultimate restoration. Throughout Scripture we see God as a kingmaker. Successful kings, some of them were, others were dismal failures. Christians themselves are invited to kingship, and it's the call of the gospel, the gospel about the kingdom, which invites all who hear and repent and reorientate their lives to a new horizon, the kingdom of God, to all those there is given the offer in the gospel of preparing now to become kings and queens, we may say, kings and priests in that future kingdom of God on the earth. Indeed, as Revelation 5 verse 10 says, the Christian community of all the ages, of all the nations and races and tongues has been gathered together in one group and their corporate function in the future kingdom will be to rule with Christ on the earth. Revelation 5 verses 9 and 10. Exactly the same fundamental concept is expressed by Jesus in the Beatitudes when he declares that the meek, those who follow Jesus in an attitude of meekness and humility now, will indeed inherit the earth. I think you will hear there a very different invitation from that which is commonly known amongst churchgoers, namely that Jesus intends to take us to heaven. On the contrary, he invites the meek to inherit the earth and to rule in it with him in the future kingdom of God. We invite you to check our findings carefully in your own Bible at home. Request from us the free booklet that we mentioned earlier. Meanwhile, join us again as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.